This has been the Final Round Drag Racing Podcast, coming to you live from the FingerLakes1.com studios in downtown Seneca Falls, New York. We'll see you right back here again in two weeks. Thanks for watching. <laughs> I must have said that two or three times as we were sitting here talking, and I still managed to mess it up. But nonetheless, we are not signing off. We're signing in. That's right. We right. are back. <laughs> We're back. I spent a little bit of time here today at Finger Lakes 1. I figured out what was going on uh, with Jim. He um, shared with me some information that I had forgotten while we were on quarantine. Okay. And to the reason why our uh, MP3s weren't working. Yeah. So since the return to the studio yep. back in July, we haven't had any MP3s of of our show. They've been recorded, but they weren't up there. Yep. And we quit using the place that I was loading them to, which oh, is why that Oh, okay. But now everything dating back to episode 77, I think, when we were coming back to the studios um, in our COVID break, as it were, um, the MP3s are now available. Uh, you should be able to find them every place that you found the final round before. Everything's out there, and they're going to be updated heretofore. And, Two weeks ago, I got Crash Course all updated and got that straightened out. We haven't been here, but here we are now uh, here at the um, Academy Square North Park building, Finger Lakes One's home back here, and happy to be back on the air with you one more time. Chris Marquardt, Jason Oldfield, episode number 83 on deck here. And uh, Jason, we were trading some messages earlier this week about um, what exactly is happening uh Uniquely um, to the NHRA in terms of their national touring system, but but uh, beyond that, which isn't unique to what is happening on the local racing scene and what some of these implications mean, and and I want to get into it from a local level to sportsman level to um, what what some of the local tracks around here are doing and have seen and what they've done to stay viable, and even even boiling it down to to purse structures and, and what the money means and, and what it means to be a national tour and, and where things are going to go. Uh, the, the, the big thing um, we, we talked about, I think it was the, the Medlin, was, was it the Medlin column that we first started with? We were talking earlier this week. I think the first one that we talked about uh, potentially was... The cut and purse. Yeah, so it was the cut and purse, and I think it was, uh, I think it was the... Uh, if. And, you know, I will reference it certainly a couple of times, I'm sure, tonight in our conversations. If if there are people that uh, haven't seen it, there is a an article, a very well-written article on Auto Week, which is funny just because of the fact that, I mean, you think drag racing coverage, you typically don't think Auto Week. And, and maybe in the end, maybe it was uh, very well done because it was completely unbiased i mean it was just like it was very re business reporting the facts basically you know here's here's how it is and uh um i should get the author uh susan wade i actually have it uh, referenced and it's uh, it's entitled six bag and a, pa a bag of pretzels and hra slashes winner's prize money by 70 percent and uh <clears throat> just a, it's long i will warn everybody that uh i mean it is it is a fairly long read but yeah it it's it's very very well written and you know, not only sheds light on what NHRA did just recently, but quite frankly, really puts the NHRA's purse kind of into perspective, really what it was previously and what it is now and how that all ties into costs. And yeah, quite frankly, even if you were to restore purses to 100 percent, 
it's it's still ludicrously low. A fuel class race pays fifty thousand to win at the start of twenty twenty. In a normal situation. In correct. a normal situation. Yep. And then uh, So they started after COVID, once they resumed, they had resumed with purses at thirty five thousand dollars to win. To win. Yeah. Now there's part of that purse, I think it was I think it was essentially sixth through tenth, basically. Mm-hmm. That didn't change a whole lot in Correct. the structure at all. Yep. Which Good because you need to have money trickling down. That's you need right. To, you need to have that there, but then things continue to to get pinched because there's no fans, because there's no any any number of combination of things. And and as we talked about before, and we'll get into this for for some of the series locally, you can't very well walk up to somebody and say, "Hey, we took half of our season off. Can we still have all that money?" Right. So they cut it to fifteen thousand to win, but still that sixth, fifth to tenth range stayed pretty much the same as what it was and i think even second didn't see a whole lot of of blip um from the main to where we are from the original to where we are right now but it uh it it certainly was eye-opening and then subsequent to that story that we shared back and forth we had that column that was written by a part-time racer that that said hey if uh you know if you're looking at only maybe having nine cars following your whole series next year how legitimate is is your standing as a national series if you only have nine? Right. And also, when you made all these decisions, who did you talk to that didn't own two cars? Which I thought was a, which was a great point because, you know, if you look at what the World of Outlaws does. Yep. World of Outlaws holds 50-some races a year, again, in a perfect, in a perfect situation. Yep. And pretty much all of them pay 10000 to win. Yep. NHRA doesn't do that. They right. don't have they don't have fifty two national races through the course of the year. Right. So, so maybe you can justify seeing a little bit more out there, uh, a bigger nugget out there to win because it's it's a more elite event. You know, whichever way you want to look at it. There's more there's more outlaws sure. events, so sure. they got to spread the money out around. Yeah. It's it, more opportunities to win it, et cetera. However you want to look at it. So, you you look at those those parts and pieces, and and outlaws really didn't didn't change a whole lot all things considered, but they're also going and racing at places that still generally had fans in the stands. Yeah. So, you know, you've got that, you've got that mix in there too. And they've had their struggles. You know, at one point they put together a program, uh, with the dirty dozen, I think that was the modifieds, but they had the, they had the elite 11 and, and stuff like that, where they were guaranteeing that you would get, um, around a dozen national level ca- caliber drivers that okay. were coming to your show. Yeah. But all of those shows, were hinged on the fact that you would have local support. Yeah. That's how the outlaws came to be the outlaws is they just traveled around and started taking everybody's money. Right, right. So there's some examples that say you can definitely make a national tour out of this because there's a there's a blueprint to follow what Ted Johnson started back in the 80s. And, and it's still around. Right. <laughs> under the dirt car banner yep. for, for the folks that are paying attention locally. I mean, I just, I don't know what is going to come of it um, but I certainly think that there's some people that are going to be scratching their head a little bit at how this is all coming together. Oh, sure. I mean, there's been some events basically over the last few years that have really made it very apparent how NHRA's... Susan Oldfield says hi. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was nice of her. Uh, uh, I'm surprised Susan Oldfield is... Uh, 
is is watching. Did you forget your phone? No, no, it's here. Oh. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, it makes me wonder. Jesus, is there an emergency uh, that uh, I need to be concerned about? You didn't say hi. It was just a waving hand. So yeah. perhaps it is an emergency. I had one. I mean. uh, right, right, exactly. <laughs> it's it's uh, in the air. But uh, uh, yeah. Anyways, uh, yeah. I mean, there's a couple of things that that really came to light with NHRA that uh, you know really put some perspective on things. And you know, the first is a few years ago. I don't remember what made this all happen, but there was a lawsuit essentially that somebody was was filing against NHRA, and I think it was as part of that lawsuit, NHRA's financials actually got released to the public um, through the legal system. And if you took a look at those, what you saw on the NHRA, as far as overall their revenues, it was something crazy like 90% of NHRA's revenues were generated through fans paying for tickets to go to the events. Mm -hmm. So sportsman racers overall, it's like for for years we've been all upset about the fact that we don't get treated that well, and you know we don't get uh, our uh, we don't get a great purse. It's like you know we pay a very high entry fee, um, a ridiculous insurance fee, and in the end, overall our purse when you look at what the entry in relation to the entry fee is is ridiculously low meanwhile the pros are getting free entry into into the races and racing for you know tens of thousands of dollars um but then and everyone in the sportsman rank was thinking okay geez you know we have let's call it a hundred sportsman cars showing up and they're in one class and they're each paying two hundred dollars to enter the race let's assume let's just leave the insurance cost separate so you got that means super gas let's call it takes in twenty thousand dollars but when Mm -hmm. you look at how much super gas pays out super gas at nhra event they pay a thousand dollars to win it's like you know 500 bucks to runner up i mean it's ridiculously low so it's like well where's all that money going Mm -hmm. it's clearly going to the pros right um now is it going to the pros yeah maybe some of it is i'm not not saying it is or it isn't but again, isn't when, that why it's called a support division? Well, I mean, maybe. Um, but in the end, when you looked at again, when you looked at the revenues overall of what NHRA took in, the entry fees for sportsman racers it was negligible, completely negligible compared right. to what they were generating from actual spectator ticket sales. Sure. That's where all their revenues were generated. Mm-hmm. Now you kind of fast forward. So it's like, all right, overall, is NHRA going to care about sportsman racers? They're like, no. All we, all we are looking for is basically literally time fillers. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you guys don't want to pay 200 bucks to come be a time filler, that's fine. We'll come find people and we'll let them race for free to be time fillers because at the end of the day, we just don't care. You, you, mm-hmm. The amount of money that you bring to us is, is negligible. Now... You fast forward overall to 2020 with COVID. Mm. And we want to hold events. We don't make money, obviously, if we don't hold events, um, just like any other sporting uh, sporting event out there, any other league. Um, on top of it, the problem with NHRA is that their TV contract, unlike the NHL and the NFL and the NBA and all the major sports leagues that get paid for their television contracts, NHRA pays ESPN or Fox or anybody else 
to air their mm -hmm. 23 events throughout the year. Now, why would they do that? Why would they not basically get paid for it? They would do it, NHRA would do it, because they can then generate sponsorship of their series by telling Coca-Cola, Powerade, hey, you know what? If you sponsor our series, you're going to get this much airtime because we've already paid the TV contract. So we're going to have this many shows, this many hours of airtime throughout the year. So this is what your money is going to go for. So NHRA is able to do that. The problem is, is that now you say, all right, well, you look at NHRA's revenues. We're going to hold races in 2020. Oh, hold on. There's COVID. You can't have any fans at these races. Well, that's okay, right? We'll have them on TV. Okay, well, that doesn't generate any revenue. You've generated right. zero revenue with by, by broadcasting on TV. Unlike all the other sports, and we'll just take NASCAR, for instance, who gets paid on a yearly basis to essentially have events that then get broadcast on TV so right. that the networks can sell advertising associated with that. Mm -hmm. um, so by them holding races, they're meeting their end of the contract and can cash their check from the network that they're getting for holding events in 2020. Right. So NHRA is making no money. They have no money coming in the way that they currently did it. What should they have done in 2020? When it became apparent that they were not going to be able to have events in 2020 with fans, they should have said, look, guys, we're done. We're, we're packing up. We are not going to have a season in 2020. That's all there is to it. Um, but instead, I think that they were trying to be, I mean, optimistic to a certain extent. But I also think they figured, well, you know what? We'll be able to use our uh, corporate acumen and our attorneys, basically. And we'll get involved with the political people locally at all these events. And we'll be able to negotiate with them to get them to open up the venue. And, yeah, maybe we won't be able to get, you know, full capacity, but at least 50% capacity at all these places. And in the end... It's been, I mean, I think Indy is one of the events overall that, I don't know what the limitation was at Indy, but I mean, when you saw the stands at Indy of the it event. It was notable. It, it, was, it was unbelievable how few people were in the stands compared right. to normal. Um, I would say maybe a 10% capacity, maybe 15% capacity. Um, well, you can't pay out what you've been paying out um, at, at that kind of capacity. It's just not right. going to work. Um, so now here you are, right? It's like you've paid out this money and you have expenses and they've tried to mitigate that. Now, one question that I have, and they're never going to make this known. Um, another thing that made people really angry about NHRA, and the reason that this whole lawsuit came up with NHRA is because NHRA is a not-for-profit. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, they are paying people on their board of directors and senior management hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. Last I knew, it's like Dallas Gardner was making, uh, you know, $750,000 a year um, to be, you know, president of NHRA. The CEO, uh, I can't think of his name off the top of my head, uh, the new guy, I should uh, I should know his name, but, uh, you know, he, uh, I heard that he was making $900,000 a year as the CEO. And, you know, overall, a guy, a CEO of a company that makes hundreds of millions of dollars a year, billions of dollars a year. Yeah, you can justify paying that CEO a million dollars a year because there's there's a lot of responsibility. When you look at really what the size of NHRA is and their revenues, they have no business paying their executives those kind of salaries. They're they're trying to be, you know, 
hey, we want to, you know, we want people to think, you know, Kodak, Eastman Kodak, and General Electric, and General Motors, and we also want them to think NHRA, and we're all on the same level, right? And it's like, NHRA is not at the same level as that. It's just like with the major sporting events. NHRA has always, I guess, wanted to be NASCAR, right? But mm-hmm. when you look at the following of NASCAR compared to NHRA, even in its in its height, uh, in its peak, you know, let's call it in the late 80s, early 90s, NHRA was a fraction of the size of what NASCAR was. Um, so they, they just can't pay their executives those kinds of that kind of money. Um, so now with COVID, all right, we're slashing purses. Have the has the executive team taken massive pay cuts? Um, we don't know. That hasn't been that hasn't been announced. They haven't uh, they haven't said anything about that. Um, I know I would love to know. Um, <laughs> I don't think you're going to call into the show and and let us know. But uh, what's un- that. But what's unfortunate is that you know, like any company that has struggled through COVID times, yeah, there has been layoffs. There has been people let go. There's been quite a few people let go. And yeah, right now, NHRA is basically working on a skeleton crew trying to continue to run races and i don't know what you do i guess at this point right um i'm kind of of the opinion at this point you know i think they should uh stop the bleeding and just tell everybody hey you know what we're done now i mean at this point do you just i mean is this going to be the the end of the you know for so long the funny cars and the the top fuel dragsters pro stocks and motorcycles were the were, were the top four mm-hmm. on earth you know the, the fastest cars the most power they were the spectacle yeah and is you can't run that team if we made this comparison with county fairs and in demolition derbies on on monday night when covid struck and, and things started shutting down it is well within the logic of the fair to not have anything because it shows that they're planning for tomorrow. If you go ahead and you have your fare, or you go ahead and you have your, your fare with your derby, and you have 25% capacity, and the demolition derby event, the motorsports events at a particular county fair, are what pays the fare's bills. Right. You know, everybody, you were talking about that money thing. They, everybody in the pit starts counting cars and counting heads and counting money and figuring out, well, we brought in this much money, and we're the entertainment, but they're only paying us this much money. It's because they're paying all the other fare bills right. off, of, off of the back of this. That's right. So if they go ahead and they have it with 25% capacity and, and restrictions on the infield, they're not going to make enough money to right. cover the year right. or to cover two years. And right. if for some reason something happens, like let's say somebody, God forbid, gets hurt, they're done. Right. So instead of running all that risk, they mitigate it and say, we don't do it this year. We'll be back again next year. See you in 2021. And it preserves the longevity of the fair. Mm-hmm. And I, I almost kind of think at times that decision is, is protecting demolition derby drivers from their, themselves. And some of these racetracks and, and touring series that shut down, essentially, I think also, like when you look at the Empire Super Sprints, they spend half of their season in Canada. That might be a stretch. It might not be half. But they spend a large part of their schedule. They have a complete separate point series for, for the Canadian swing. Yep. They're sort of protecting the drivers from themselves yeah. because they can't go run any place because you know that you're protecting. And, and, and really, it's, it's almost like a sense of fiscal responsibility from the series to say, hey, we need to back things down. When you look at the Super Dirt Car Series with the Dirt Modifieds or you look at the Empire Super Sprints because you know 
you know that you are putting a, 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 a heavier burden on those tracks to pay the purse that they can't, they can't necessarily absorb. Right. You don't have fans. And I love what Dirt Track Digest did. Um, Dirt Track Digest ended up sending flight packs out all over the place and was able to live stream events from Albany, Saratoga, Fonda, okay, yep. Outlaw, yep. Land of Legends, um, Genesee, Can-Am, um, Thunder Mountain. There was, a, I think there was probably seven or eight tracks that were running in New York, and almost all of them had live coverage. Mm-hmm. But you're not making the money there the way that you would if you were open. Right. Yeah, not at all. Not, not at all. So they're, they're kind of protecting everybody from themselves because everybody wants to race. If NHRA shut things down, think about the money that they would have saved just in, just in tires. Well, that's, I guess, you know, again, that's kind of the tires crazy and thing. Nitro. So you, yeah. had, you, you made the comment about, you know, whether or not the small teams, I think, were involved in the discussion. And, and that was that second, second piece. That, right, right, exactly. Yeah. So Terry McMillan, who's, who's sp- sponsored by Amelie Oil, I will say that he is a definitely a smaller team, even though he has a sponsor. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I'm not a hundred percent sure if if Terry was included in those conversations or not. But Terry did specifically state, "Get your rims done and get your headers done, Jason." <laughs> Can you guess who's listening? <laughs> I, I know exactly who it is. It's Jeff Jackson. Uh, <laughs> uh, so Terry McMillan specifically stated that the little teams were not included in the conversations, and we heard that actually from some of the smaller independent teams that basically they were just told, hey, this is, this is what's happening, and they were not asked. Now, the big teams, yeah, they were all brought in and, and asked, hey, you know, what are we going to do, and this is you know, kind of what we're proposing, and the big teams signed on to that. And you know, it was uh, TJ Zizzo actually in this article. He says that... Uh, um, so for the six runs that they'll have to make in an event, four mm-hmm. qualify. So if four qualifying passes, and uh, I guess I guess he's assuming that he through. wins first round. You get the, through second. You get through the second round and lose. Yeah, you, right, right. So for six runs, he said it would cost him five thousand dollars in nitromethane. Just in nitro. Just in nitro. Yep. That. <laughs> and a lot of money. as per his comment, that's a drop in the bucket to what they what it costs them to run the car which is which is very clear i mean one of the guys actually said it's like you know look the way that we run our team as a small budget team is the guys that work for us their pay is based on what we win Mm -hmm. so you know we can't afford to pay them a salary so they basically come here and work on a commission and it's like now you're telling me that you know we're not going to be able to get anywhere near as much money as we will we were before so how do i convince these guys to take time off of their real jobs and leave Mm -hmm. their families at home um to come out here and, and work on the teams right now you know that said here's this is i think the way this went down and i would love to know what John Force, what the reasoning was for John Force to not race this year. So John mm-hmm. Force parked his team right. at the beginning of the season and said, look, if there's racing, we're not going to be there. We're- and a piece came out this week about if, if he's parked, how is this team still influencing? Which is interesting. I mean, I don't... It's I a don't, weird perspe- it was a weird perspective to take. I mean, it, yeah, it, it, it I, took I nothing away from John Force. John Force, as long as he's taking oxygen 
and, and making carbon uh, carbon dioxide on this earth yep. will be a an influencer in drag racing. Probably, right? probably. Come on. <laughs> but yeah, the question is, is, yeah, I mean, I guess what kind of influence did he have? But at the same point in time, why did he make that decision? So again, another really interesting piece of insight is in this article, they interview Cruz Pedregon mm-hmm. and... Cruz basically says, look, the the formula for being a successful fuel team is is well known. It's you get yourself a sponsor and you keep your costs down and you can make money and make a living doing this. That's how you do it. Which for me in particular made me immediately say, okay, and and on top of that at the end he basically says we're going to be at every nhra race and we look to we look forward to racing nhra uh next year too mm-hmm. so immediately for me the the bells go off in my head i'm like now i get it cruz mm-hmm. pedragon again doesn't care what the purse is paid by nhra because that is not what he uses to fund his team and to right. make money it's his sponsorship money mm-hmm if he wins, great. Hey, you know what? Fantastic. I won and I get an extra $50,000 bonus that I'm able to take and, you know, maybe divvy up among the guys or put in my pocket or do whatever. But at the end of the day, him going to the races and being able to make a living as a race car driver is based solely on him having a sponsor. Now, you take that a step further. Cruz Pedregon says, I'm not going to race in 2020. His sponsor, I think his, his main sponsor is still Snap-on. Mm-hmm. Snap-on says, okay, well, your contract was we were going to pay you X amount of dollars for every year of that you race for five years. So you're not racing in 2020, so we're going to cross that one off, and that gets put on to the end of the contract. So you make no money this year. Mm-hmm. Or it doesn't get put on the end of the contract, and your five-year contract in the middle of it is now didn't, have, didn't have a year three. Right. Right, exactly. Now it's a four-year, basically a four-year contract, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And my guess is that there is, because the TV programming is already paid for by NHRA, and they are going to broadcast these events, whether there's fans there or not, I'm sure in the contract, all it basically says is, we will be at this number of events, that will be broadcast on TV and, you know, we'll do these kind of promotional appearances for you, blah, 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 but says nothing about we're going to guarantee that there's going to be 300,000 people that come to an event on a weekend, right? Mm-hmm. So Cruz Pedregon has pretty much just told everybody, I don't care. We, us bigger teams that are sponsored, we don't care. That's, that's crazy, crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, now, with Force, why did Force decide to take 2020 off? Did he not feel right about taking money from his sponsors, knowing full well that even if we did race, that, you know what, it wasn't going to be the same experience for his corporate sponsors? Um, was it, did he have a fear of catching COVID? Did he feel like he was at risk and, you know, he didn't want to put uh, his employees at risk? Uh, um yeah, what what overall was it? I, I guess I don't know the answer to that. Um, only John Forrest knows the knows the reason, and he has not said to this point what were the factors as to why he was not going to have any of his teams participate in 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, in my mind, I kind of look at the things that the Schumachers and Kalitas and everything else are doing with their corporate sponsors. 
and think to myself, I'm not saying that it's it's completely dishonest, um, but I don't think it's totally right either. Just because the fact that the corporate sponsors, when they when they gave them this money for sponsorship, they did it in good faith based on right. the fact that this is what an event looks like. So this is what I'm going to be paying. This for. is this is Gabriel Fernandez is reporting for uh, CBS Sports. Yep. And in it, John Force is quoted again. This is uh, CBS Sports. Gabriel Fernandez, July the 31st, 2020. Uh, we had to make cuts everywhere, said John Force. We ran numbers over and over, and our contracts with sponsors. We have guarantees. They get social media, certain number of races, certain number of race days, activation at races, and other commitments. No matter how I looked at it, I couldn't deliver on those commitments. It just wasn't fair to them. The impact of not being able to deliver on these commitments makes sitting out the rest of twenty, the rest of the 2020 season the right thing to do no matter how i looked at it no matter how much i personally invested i couldn't make it and that's uh but he says cbs sports july 31st 2020 gabriel fernandez wrote that but he said in good conscience Mm -hmm. which to me tells me that yeah he looked at this and said it's just not right Yep. Could I could I possibly run races and Because let's face it. Let's face that real quick. So in good conscience, here's the thing. Is we just talked about John Force and Florence uh, you know, in perpetuity? Yep. Is he going to struggle to get a sponsor? No. Is is there such a case of being wealthy enough to have a good conscience? <laughs> you know what Maybe. I mean? You know? Yeah. And I'm not I'm not taking anything away from him, but right. you know, look at the look at the spot that he's in. He's 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 got the luxury of being able to make that decision. Oh sure, yeah, yeah. The tough thing is I don't know what. Here's here's on the flip side of this. So I'm being a little bit critical. Jeff of, said now the pros can feel the sportsman pain. Right, right. It's like now now I'm be, I'm being critical, obviously, of some of these bigger teams that are now out there racing, essentially saying, look, we don't really care how much we're racing for because our sponsors are footing the bill, and as long as we're out there racing, we're going to collect a paycheck from them. So I'm being critical of them. Now, on the flip side of that, I don't know what John Force did with his staff now that we're not running in 2020. Mm-hmm. So I also, as, as much as I don't want to take money from sponsors and not deliver value, I also don't want to go to my race team. And I don't know how many employees these these shops have. I mean, I know the NASCAR guys have hundreds. Um, but... I don't want to go to my shop. Let's assume that, you know, John Forrest Racing has 100 employees. Okay, of those 100 employees, I'm sure, you know, 15% of them are John Forrest Racing family, right? I still don't want to go to 85% of my workforce and tell them, I'm sorry, we have no work for you. We have to let you go. Um, Because most of the people that work at these race shops, they are just normal people, right? Uh, it's not to say that they don't necessarily get sucked into being uh, racing fans over time, but they're administrative assistants, they're engineers, they're custodians, they're just normal working people doing their normal jobs, and they just so happen to work for a race team um, that now isn't racing and can't pay me. So it's like, how do I put food on my table for my family? How do right. I pay my mortgage? Um, so... Even though I'm being critical of some of these teams, at the same point in time, it's like, well, at least they are keeping at least a majority of their staff employed right. still. Um, well, think about what's it cost to make a pass on a fuel car? Yeah, 
Well, I mean, we know we know about a thousand dollars just in nitro, right? Um, I, can it eclipse six thousand, eight thousand per pass on a on a single pass? I think it can. Yeah, yeah. So you're saving. We had six. We had six passes there a minute ago, right? Yeah, that was the that was the number. Yeah. So you're saving almost fifty thousand dollars, right? By not potentially running. a weekend, right? By not racing, right? right. I mean, that's, that's yeah. not an insignificant amount of money. The question is, is what is now? I mean, overall, this is the thing I will say that. So unlike again NASCAR and Formula One, where you know, let's call it Formula One, you know, they you know someone signs. Uh, I don't even know who the big sponsors are these days. Uh, let's call it Virgin Atlantic. Okay, and Virgin Atlantic gives. You know, whatever Formula One team, you know, twenty million dollars to be the primary sponsor on on the car. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a bunch of all the sm- sm- smaller sponsors as well, but they give one super huge amount of money to basically fund the team for the year. I'm fairly sure that's not the case, except for the maybe the biggest teams in an HRA that they're not getting their major sponsor to cover all of the costs. No, it is covering. Yeah, obviously, if you're the major sponsor, it's covering a majority of it. But they rely on having all of those little associate sponsors to help mm-hmm. basically pay the bills. You know, do they, they're not they're not making a quick run on the way to the nationals to uh, Napa to grab. A bunch of quarts of oil, you know? Right. That's that's product sponsors and stuff that's there. But most of those teams, you know, you made the reference to NASCAR and you made the reference to Formula One and in, in, in you know, IndyCar or even just the, the, the dirt modifies that you see racing around here. Hey, so you mentioned IndyCar, I got a I got a comment. But the, the 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 biggest purses that we've seen in in um dirt car mm-hmm. in dirt modifieds have been in the last couple of years. We're just starting to see 10,000 to win pop up as a regular thing. 7,500 to win has come up. Um, we've seen a couple of one-off races. You know, Syracuse always paid big money, 50,000. Um, and a lot of times people had a special built motor, special built car, yeah. special built body. Then you put the graphics, then you get matching uniforms, then you still got to buy fuel, you still got to buy tires. It's all those things where, you know, you can see Goodyear all you want on NASCAR. They still have to buy their tires every weekend. Yeah. And, and... And it's not like dirt car where if you have an American racer deal and you're running the Amer- a series that has an American racer deal, you have to run one of the select compounds that they've earmarked. Mm-hmm. If right. you then go starting on outlaw type stuff, you can run any tire compound. So you've got a stacker hauler for your two cars and a stacker hauler for your assortment of tires. You know, it gets it gets insane. Right. That stuff's not given to them. It, that's not a, that's not a product sponsor. It's a big deal when you can win a Hoosier Tire voucher. You sure, know? sure. So that's that's it's one of those things that it, it it's not just dropped in your lap. This isn't you know even the NFL has these guys where it's like just this this entity. The NFL, all those all those teams at some point have to pay a franchise fee. Oh, yeah. repeatedly, yeah. and they have to they have to sign up. They're 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 clubs that are agreeing to be part of a group that operates under the rules of the NFL. If any time any of them wanted to go break off, theoretically, they could. Yeah, I'm fairly, I mean, I, I don't know this for sure, but I'm fairly certain that the the way that people make money being large, being team owners of major sports uh, franchises, 
you know, assuming that you don't own the stadium and all the concessions and stuff like that, if you just own the franchise itself, they're not making their money necessarily through the um, uh, through the souvenirs and you know the merchant, the branded merchandise and stuff like that. Yeah, that 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 all basically goes back to kind of support the Trickles team. In. Yeah. It, it really is, in my mind, I'm guessing. From from what I can see and, and and what I've heard about like the Pagulas and the Bills and the Sabers, that the money when they make their money, it's when they buy the team, they hold on to it for ten or twenty years, and then they turn around and sell it for <laughs> five times what they bought it for. Right. Um so yeah, the Pagulas, it's like you know, they bought the Bills for what, I don't know, close to two billion dollars or something like that. Yeah, my guess is if today, if they went and turned around to sell the bills today, they'd probably get $4 billion for it. Um, and that's when they cash out and earn right. their money. Um, otherwise, the I think for the most part, the actual entertainment aspect of it on a week-to-week basis, it's, yeah, we have high payroll. You're paying all the players and all the staff, support staff, and the keeping the facilities up and everything else. And all that money that we get on a week-to-week basis just goes to support all of that. And it's the same as buying. It's, it's multi-billion dollar check to mouth. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, when you think about it. Yeah, I really, I mean, I, and again, I don't know for sure. I've never seen the Bills financials. I don't think uh, Terry and Kim are going to uh, uh, share those with me. But just from <laughs> from what I've read and, you know, you keep hearing small market team, all the rest of it, it's like, well, why does it really matter, right? Um, well, it's like because, yeah, all this stuff is really just kind of keeping the team afloat on a week-to-week basis. So what's this mean now for the local series? I mean, we've seen the Super Dark Art series took the year off. Uh, World of Outlaws didn't didn't swing through New York because of the grandstand situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, Super Dark Art series. We talked about Empire Super Sprints. Patriot Sprint Tour raced a little bit, but again, without the without fans in the stands, they wouldn't do it. A bunch of local tracks still ran. Um, we haven't seen anybody come up with a financial model at the local level that could turn around and try and capitalize any of this stuff. Much past what Fonda did, and then what Brett Deo and the Short Track Super Series did by going out of New York and still contesting races and and hoping that when the drivers were coming back over the border that that state hadn't at some point been added to a list that would make right. them have to lock down for X amount of time. Right. So, you know, on the drag racing side of things, is this going to give the opportunity? Um, is this the Is this the... Is this the asteroid that took out the dinosaur situation and, and now something new is going to rise? I, I just see that once everything goes back, everybody is going to forget about this stuff and be so excited to be back to normal that NHRA is still going to be there and, and they may not have to put all the money back in right away. That is the absolute insanity of this to me is that, again, with Cruz Pedregon's Comments, Right. And Billy Lieber said this to me, and I said, yeah, I 100% agree. That right now, yeah, when everything goes back to normal, I'd be like, hey, guess what, guys? Your new purse is 10000 to win. Don't like it? Because hmm? they've just said, man, we don't care. We're going to be out there racing anyways because of the, spo- because of the sponsors that right. we have. So why pay them $50,000? Make it ten. Make it five. I mean, where else? Where else are they going to go at this point? There, there's no place else for the for the pro teams to go. Jeff Jackson just said that your fees are going to double, probably. But I also think that NHRA 
is sitting in a spot where, and we'll get it back to local here in just a second, but, but real quick, is they could go a different direction and they could treat this thing like the um, uh, United States Hot Rod Association mm-hmm. or World Wrestling Entertainment, independent contractors. Right. You sign a contract, you're right. with me for five years. Yeah. If you take a year off, we're going to add that 12-month contract at the end of it and you're still going to serve me for X number of race weekends total. And you're not going to go run any place else, and it becomes the more. Trucks. It becomes more entertainment. Somebody's going to win the money at the end of the day, but then you end up with with team profit sharing as you right. buy in, and 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 it starts taking more some of the form of of a more modern version of what the NFL is versus what it was several years ago when it was really just clubs and they started getting in that profit sharing, so right. everybody started getting right. into. But is this also going to have an effect where it trickles down? Are our sports and racers going to be able to benefit from this? I mean, you said yourself with um, you said yourself with the the Super Rod Association, you were able to put together a schedule, but you didn't put together a season for this year. Right. You can't very well go to um, Tread City and say, "Hey, uh, bill for twenty twenties due." Right. Right. You can't. Right. So what's going to happen now to sports and racing? Is sports and racing going to get some of the attention that it deserves? Possibly, yeah. Possibly. I mean, the so I mean, the crazy thing here is that from a sportsman drag racing standpoint, I'm gonna guess that it's the drag racing is probably the one motorsport that really, again, when we talk about just the sportsman um, and and the local guys, that has not pretty much been affected by this once the tracks open back up again. Are any local track there? profitability has basically nothing to do with fans in the stands Mm -hmm. there is for the most part very few people that come out to the drags just to watch you're generally there as a crew person and the money that the track makes for the most part is based on the car counts that they get um, for the various classes that they have so obviously covid had an effect on the season because most tracks weren't even open in this area until mid-June. Um, and yes, you did have situations like you had alluded to where, you know, uh, Dragway 42 was, you know, supposed to have events and, you know, guys were going to, from New York, were going to go to Dragway 42 to go compete and couldn't basically because it's like, well, if I go to Ohio, now I got to come back and I got to quarantine for two weeks and take two weeks off of work. So I can't do that. Um, but for the most part, the local guys, if you stayed local, yeah, Empire and Lancaster and Esta, they've been they've been essentially having their standard local schedule every week with the I would say for the most part the same number of cars that they've had. And on top of that, here's here's kind of part of the crazy thing is that you know each of the tracks uh John Sierra's Twin 75 Hundo mm. races are coming up soon. They might be, they're not this weekend. I think they're weekend after, maybe. Yeah. Um, but it's like Esta, they just had their Twin 10K races. They were last weekend. Um, and there's been a bunch of bigger dollar bracket races that have still gone off. And it was, you know, with a very good car count. And potentially, really, the only difference was is that initially these races were supposed to take place in May and June, and they got rescheduled to be the end of the year. Um, yeah, 25th and 26th. 25th and 26th is the twin 7500s, yeah. But now, <laughs> you know, now you have a situation 
where sportsman guys are regularly going to be racing for more money than what the pros are racing for. In pro stock to win right now, it's $6,000 to win pro stock. Which means if you come out to Empire next week and win one of the two races, you don't have to win both of them, you have to win one of the two races at, uh, at one of John's races at Empire next weekend in a bracket car, you will win more than Greg Anderson would potentially win for winning pro stock at the next NHRA national event. That is absolute insanity. Now, again, maybe Greg Anderson doesn't care because his sponsors are, are footing the bill. Um, but the, the fact that we're talking about that kind of money is just absolute craziness. Um, and, and that, I mean, 7500 today is not really all that much money. I mean, obviously we had uh, back in, I think it was July, when they had the $1.1 million race at uh, Martin, Michigan. Um, and... Uh, you know, the pros have never run for that kind of money. And that really kind of highlights another issue that there is here, not necessarily just for the pros, but for the sportsmen as well, that the purses are completely out of whack. Um, in <laughs> in that article, that Auto Week article that I, I referenced, um, they said that uh, the $50,000 to win in fuel, in the fuel classes... Now, that's a 50000 That's not the reduced 15000 but the $50,000 to win is the same amount of money that Jack Nicholas won in 1974 <laughs> at the U.S. Open. The person that finished, and I don't, I don't know the person's name. I, I wanted to mention this. The person that finished 33rd in the Indianapolis 500 mm-hmm. in 2020 here, just a few weeks ago, made more money finishing dead last in the Indianapolis 500, then all 10 pro-stock motorcycle drivers will make for running the entire season. Right. That's just, again, it's insanity. It's craziness when when you start thinking about it. So even if things go back to normal for the pros and the purse goes back, it's still ridiculously low and needs to be adjusted somehow. And that, to me, really says, hey, you know what? Yeah, why wouldn't you go to the monster truck type of mm-hmm. uh, situation where we just pay these guys to essentially show up and we all share in the revenue? Who, who cares? We're, we're an entertainment business here putting on a show, and that's, that's all we are. Um, I mean, that's really all they are. But the sportsmen, I will say one offshoot again of the sportsman racers is I think because of the lack of NHRA national events that there have been um, – that sportsman racers have been a little more willing to spend more money at home or close to their regional tracks. Um, so again, Sierra um, has been really instrumental at Empire in getting a Calcutta going. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, he has a, he gets a lot of participants. I think it's forty bucks maybe in, in box. Mm-hmm. Um, so, hey, you know what? If you want to, you put an extra 40 bucks in, and you win the pot at the end of the night. Well, overall, I mean, I know that he's getting – it's an extra – it's been like an extra 1000 1200 1500 to, to win. And guys are willing to spend the extra 40 bucks because, yeah, you know what? They're not traveling uh, and going to some of these other races that they had planned on going to. So sure. I think, you know, guys are just overall um, have a little bit extra money to spend. So how is that going to affect uh, things long term? I don't know. I do. I do believe 
that for the sportsman racers, not necessarily with the pros. I mean, the pros get... I won't say every pro has a Wally because the smaller teams, obviously, those guys uh, haven't all won. And, you know, I'm sure having that trophy mean would mean a lot to them. But definitely for the sportsman racers, there hasn't it hasn't made financial sense to go to an NHRA national event for quite some time. Mm-hmm. You have to go race the division events first and get a grade point high enough so that you can get into a national event. And when you add in the cost to go to all those divisional events and then to be able to go to the national event and what you win if you were to win a national event, it makes zero financial sense to to do that. Um, So why do people do it? Mm -hmm. There's there's only two explanations. Um, One is I'm driven by the Wally. Winning that Wally... You know, it's obviously been a symbol of NHRA drag racing for a long time. Um, it's like, yes, I want to have one of those that I can put on my mantle. So it's it's either the quest for the Wally, or it is I just don't care, and I am wealthy enough, and that I can afford to go to my country club at the drag strip, and I want to go hang out with my other buddies at the country club, right. and I don't really care. Those are which the is, only two logical explanations. Which is certainly a part of it, too. I'm sure it yeah. is. Yeah, I'm sure it is. I mean, in the end, there's very few sportsman racers out there that are really doing this for a living. Right. Um, you can count them on one hand, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so for the rest of us, yeah, we all have jobs or businesses or whatever else it is. And, and drag racing really is just a hobby. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Do I want to go do my hobby over here with people that I don't know, don't like, um, and I'm not going to have any fun? Or do I want to potentially go over here? And Just hang- as Wally's overrated. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's no doubt. I mean, yeah, unfortunately, uh, NHRA has really diminished the value as well because they started basically giving them out for all sorts of ridiculous uh, uh, prizes and events. Um, you want to give a Wally out at your event, you call an HRA, you pay them, I don't know what it is, 300, 500 bucks, and uh, you know, basically say, yeah, we're going to give a Wally out to this weekend's winner. Um, that's crazy. Um, right. I mean, before, the only way you could win a Wally is if you went to an HRA national event or a division event. That was sure. it. Um, now it's like, eh, yeah, I won junior drag. I mean, literally, I won the junior dragsters uh, out of my local track, and you know, that weekend they had a race for a Wally. Um, it's. It's crazy to me. Right. And then uh, IHRA gives out the, the Ironmans, right? Well, yeah. They used to. Uh, they used to. I'm sorry. Yeah. 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 I mean, actually, so I think. I mean, we saw some of those given out at the year-end banquet for Empire every year. Right. Right. Yeah. And I think now the, their trophy has changed. I believe that um, I think when Bader, Bill Bader bought IHRA, I believe that he kept potentially the rights to the to the Iron Man um, because it was like right after that that they switched the trophy to this new, you know, basically like nondescript cup looking thing. Mm. Um, so I think they don't they haven't given out Iron Mans uh, in quite some time. Yeah, um, they just those those went by the wayside, just like IHRA went by the wayside as well. So. Um, Saturday bracket race, twelve hundred bucks for a divisional. Uh, there's some. 
laughing faces following that <laughs> that Jeff has up there. And that's for a one-day race, not a four-day race. Um, yeah. Every series should be their own trophy. Not wrong. Every series should have their own trophy. I, I'm not against that. I mean, No. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, I think you'd get some people that moved around a little bit so that they could have the complete set. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, possibly. Yeah, overall, it's, uh, you know, sportsman racing. I, now I will say that there was another uh, another article that came out uh, just, I don't know, was it this week? Um, I think it might have been this week on Drag Illustrated. Um, Luke Bogacki, um, so he, he writes for Drag Illustrated, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, it he i don't know the whole the whole deal and i would like to have luke on the show at some point i know i've talked to him a couple times about coming on we've just never been able to put it together but um the title of the article in, in the latest issue of drag illustrator is the future of bracket racing and my guess is that he's been kind of critical about uh where bracket racing in general is going because again part of the problem that we have with bracket racing is costs are starting to spiral out of control mm-hmm. um but and this that, happens every couple of years in every type of motorsport, though. It does. Um, but we want a little more. We want a little more. This is too crazy. We need to go back to stock. Right. Right. <laughs> and we um, rebuild. The question is, uh, and you know, if you looked at the participants with with drag racing, you know, they gave Wally's for a car show. Is that true? They gave Wally's for a car show one time. Uh, Jeff just said it. Well, well, I mean, they do have best appearing car, right? Yeah. So, I mean, you show up in best appearing car, you gotcha. win a Wally. Uh, right. Um, right. You're saying, uh, yeah. So, you know, if you looked at the amount of people drag racing, my guess is that the overall count is down, right? Just over time, sure. um, and. If you looked at the average age of the guys that are out there competing now, that age is definitely increasing as well. So you're in a really bad situation where that overall people are either leaving the sport or they're getting to the point where they're aging out of the sport and saying, that's it, I'm done. And we don't have enough young people coming in from the backside to fill those positions. Now, when costs start to get out of control, the new young racers can't can't come in and compete. They just can't afford it. And you might have some of those older guys that are getting near the end of their careers, and they're like, "Ah, hey, you know what? This is ridiculous. I'm not going to do this anymore." Everybody loves the the big dollar bracket races, um, but you also have to realize it's like, and I may have used this on a previous show. You know, the 1.1 million dollar race. Mm-hmm. That is the, the the best analogy I can come up with is the World Series of Poker. So, sure. do people want to go play for play poker for ten million dollars to win? Absolutely. Are you willing to pony up ten thousand dollar entry to get in? Nope. Most people are like, "Whoa! I didn't realize I had to pay ten thousand dollars to enter." Well, a one point one million dollar race in the end, you probably spent five thousand dollars in entry fees right. for that weekend. Um, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. So. And, you know, again, this is kind of the direction that races are going is that there's more and more of these really, really high-dollar bracket races. Um, but how many people can afford to go racing every weekend or even every – let's even call it every other weekend um, where their entry fees are $2,000? Um, you know, the smaller races, I mean, I, I don't know what the entry fee is for the twin 7500s. I'm going to say – 350 bucks maybe. But I remember when we talked with John before, he he said that his goal was to keep that affordable and to keep buybacks affordable. Right. Right. And then, you know, that 
Yeah, like around if, if somebody wants to spend more money, they've got the option on that Calcutta stuff. Right. Yeah. Around here is hard, just because of the fact that very hard. We don't have the type of disposable income in this in this area like you might have around a huge metropolitan area, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, so yeah, you start talking about well, we want to have a, a race where it's you know a hundred thousand dollars to win, and it's only going to be a thousand dollars entry for for the weekend. We're going to do you know a hundred thousand, a couple fifty thousand races, and a thirty thousand dollar race. Can you attract people from out of, out of this area to come to those races? Yeah, but you're also kind of crapping on the local racers because the local racers are going to be like, "Yeah, I'd like to compete, but can't afford it." Right. We've had this we've had this conversation a bunch of times. Right. Uh, right. About how to put together a big money race to serve the local community without having a big money race that puts them on the outside. Right. Yeah, and I think that's why most of the races that you've seen around here have been of that five thousand, seventy-five hundred, ten thousand dollar to win, and we haven't had the yeah the twenty-five thousand dollar warm-up race. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. Uh, uh, Jeff yeah. says kids play video games and don't know how to use tools. Well, that's uh, that is certainly true as well. Uh, no. There was also a sixteen-year-old that won what a million plus, some insane purse for a Fortnite tournament oh, oh well yeah yeah that's- <laughs> which is a whole other episode <laughs> yeah again you know if you if you go read that article in auto week um she actually references a couple of these insane types of Video things. Game tournaments yeah yeah the one tournament it was the it was like the you know i'm gonna call it the oahu you know world surfing championship event and it was like the person that won that for that weekend won more money than what you would win to that win. That was a hundred thousand dollars. It was weekend. a lot of money. Yeah, yeah, it was a lot of money. And yeah, now you have video game competitions, right, where people are winning again ridiculous amounts of money. And you know, in the in the article, they even said not only is it ridiculous amounts of money in comparison to what NHRA pays, but there's zero risk in comparison. You're not putting your life on the line getting into a race car that might blow up and you know throw you into a guardrail. At but again, look now. at the comparison. How many times have you ever watched it? How many times have you ever watched a video gamer? Um, I've done it. I will. I will admit I've done it a few times, but it can't hold my attention <laughs> very long. Right. It doesn't matter because they can get Monster or Nas yeah. or any of these people to sponsor them because they yep. know that that's that captive market. It's it's almost the flip of what we heard with Cruz Pedregon. Right. They don't care how many people watch it. It doesn't matter. Yeah. All it takes is for one young kid to win that money, and every young kid that has ever picked up that controller is going to be the next person that wins that. Right, And right. they're going to, whatever it costs to enter, whatever. And I can't believe now, I mean, you have video game teams, right, that people yes. are buying houses and recruiting people, and I will pay you a salary to come be on our, our video our team. game team. I mean, that's just crazy to me. Right. <laughs> but I guess that's... Uh, that's where we are in uh, in 2020. So I guess, I guess. So well, I mean, I hopefully, hopefully, some people enjoyed some of the some of my 58 minute rant on uh, the craziness and of the current state of drag racing payouts. I got to talk some, a little. I got to add some points. Actually, I made a point. <laughs> Episode 83. I'm 81. Sorry, 81. I made a point. I was very excited. Oh, it was. Eight. It is 81. Okay. It is 81. Yeah, I, yeah. Not only did we play the outro, it was wrong show too. Oh, okay. okay. Well, 
Well, in the end, uh, my belief... My, my number sequencing got all thrown off when I was going through loading those shows, and I thought we were one show ahead of where we were. Got all flustered. And I just didn't pay attention. Nah. It all fell apart. Well, well, I'll let you off the hook. <laughs> I uh, suppose. Yeah. My, my expectation, 2021, you know, let's call it COVID is no longer around. Everything goes back to normal. Yes, everybody will flock back to NHRA. Um, I know this is a, a nasty thing to say, but... Uh, you know, in years past, you know, 20, 25 years ago, if you would have asked me what's going to happen if NHRA goes belly up, I would have, you know, cried myself to sleep thinking about that. Um, now I look at it and say, you know what, the best thing that could happen for drag racing's future overall as a sport rather than as a paid booked in circus, um, you know, probably would be for NHRA to go under and for pro, the all the pro uh, drivers that have their union pro uh get together and basically say we're going to reboot this thing um from scratch and let's start again from the drawing board and, and fix all the things that are wrong mm-hmm. do i think that's going to happen no i don't right um, we actually already saw demolition derby side of things already saw its first cancellation in 2021 winter slam up in uh st peter minnesota it's in february and they they've called it off wow they called it off now i don't know if it was attendance restrictions wise i didn't get to the i it's not Monday yet, so I don't have all those answers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right, 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 right. <laughs> but they, I don't know if, because they had some issues at the at the fairgrounds up there with the number of people they were going to allow, and Minnesota's had yep. some trouble as a whole with, um, I said that poorly. They didn't have trouble. They had a governor who decided to put restrictions in place no different than what our governor right, did. Right, right, yep. And they, they can't operate at, at full seating capacity yet for various different things, and, and it could be tied to that. It could be tied to... Something completely unrelated that they are projecting in the future and saying it might just be easier if we do this now so people don't spend the the, the, the fall building cars for an event that's eventually going to get shut down. So, Of course, but, uh, it makes me wonder because, uh, I don't know what it was, uh, two months ago the Big Ten said, we're not playing football, no football in 2020. And now that there's a few leagues that are playing football and uh, uh, covid in general seems like the number of cases may be dropping or people are just more comfortable with it it's like change your mind we're we're playing football we're coming at so you. Yeah. yeah i wonder if uh, that'll be the same thing with the derby as you get closer to february it's like okay we're going to delay it a month and uh, but we're still going to have it right i tell you my co-host um brian on the crash course on monday is a big football fan and he was beside himself when he was watching high school football being played in Florida with fans in the stands. And, and he said, apparently, it doesn't come out of Florida where everybody was getting sick. And it's like, uh, I don't know. I, I think we know. should talk politics and religion next. I, I don't know if we should. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Yes, I will say that uh, it's unbelievable to me. But yep. they, I did an interview with, and, and regardless of which side of it, I'm, I'm, monitoring all the whole things here as it, as it goes videos cost very little cars are expensive yeah that's true jeff yep. jeff jeff's onto something there jeff is a budding gamer he's hedging <laughs> into his gaming career right i had i did an interview with a, a gentleman who was doing a documentary on demolition derby in england mm-hmm. and he started asking if if the sport was always as political as it seems to be now and I said, it's absolutely been as political. And he goes, really? I said, yeah, yeah. These groups had their friends, and they ran together, and they had their picking order, and they went through the different factions, and there was always, there was always politics. This just wasn't what you were envisioning. And he goes, well, I was meaning, you know, kind of mirroring the climate that we've got right now in, in the United States. And I said, regardless of what you believe politically, 
there will be a large portion of the population that passes away if someone were to come out and say it is now against the law to stick a fork in a power outlet and you would have extremists on both sides yep. that would die either defending the right or proving that you can. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I will say, yeah. how dare you take away the right? If I want to stick a fork in an electrical outlet, I should be able to stick a fork in an electrical outlet, right? Yeah, there's no doubt. Um, I want to know is uh, what do they uh, what do they do demolition derbies in England? Do they use like Reliant Robins? Uh... They have a lot of '70s cars that you'd be surprised made it over there uh-huh. under different names. Um, the Chrysler Imperial and the Imperial Crowns, depending yeah. on what years, have also been outlawed in England. Okay. Um, there's a huge, uh, as a side note, a, a huge sea body mm-hmm. collection uh, group in the Scandinavian countries in Germany. Okay. A lot of Seabody Chryslers yep. went over those with a full size. Um, and their big thing is demolition derby happening after a banger race. You ever seen a banger race? No. So they have, they have their sweet spot cars too. Like uh, uh, Andy Ship, which is one of the guys that I know over there that's come to the United States and run a couple derbies okay. under our format. He's a banger racer. He swears by the... Um, the twin headlight Jaguars. Okay. Like the 77, yeah, the full yeah. size, 77 yeah. to 83. He, maybe the XJs, but I, I, I'm i pulling that out thinking it's right, but I don't know. He swears by those. But then there's other people that have their other things. Um, and then you've got a lot of like the delivery hearses and uh, the black taxi cabs. Yep. Oh, yeah. Those. Okay. And and they get whipping around and then somebody goes in and, and wrecks somebody and then sends them to the wall. And then it's like, like homing pigeons and they just go bam 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 nose to tail so you get these like volvo wagons and these sobs <laughs> that are just completely bananaed like it. and you can see like the driver's in it and then the back end comes up and then off screen it must have got hit again yeah and again and again and again and and eventually the guy's just sitting there and like this doesn't look safe <laughs> you guys are not safe <laughs> but it was and then whatever's left after that, you have your choice where you can try to complete the number of laps or you can wreck your car. It's up to you kind of thing. Okay. In the banger race, then afterward, whoever's left, they have a more uh, traditional demolition, demolition derby, derby. And, yeah. and, and they run it, and that's how they crown their winner. I should have, uh, I should have known Volvo. That's, uh, Volvo wagons have got to be huge for that type Volvo of thing. wagons are tough around here because the five-cylinder is still allowed to run with the four-cylinder class. Oh. Because of different wheelbase. Not all the time, but different wheelbase rules. Yeah. So it gets a little... It's a little fun. Jeff's all done. Jeff, we, we turned the corner on Jeff. He's checked out. He's like, I don't want to. Yeah, I don't want to talk about uh, Volvo. We're five derby. minutes. We're five minutes over eight o'clock, and, it, and it's only a few <laughs> minutes. Calm down. It's not like we spent the whole show talking about that. I think we had some contributions that had to do with racing, even though they had to turn. You know the thing you're talking about the attendance at, at, at drag races. Mm-hmm. When you think about the amount of space at a track that NASCAR might visit. Yep. And then you think about the amount of space that a a regional touring series or a national dirt touring series would, would visit. The one that has probably the least amount of seating would be the dirt track oval. Then a nationally recognized drag strip uh, or even a regional drag strip because you've got a quarter mile or yeah, an eighth well, mile well, that, yeah. has, that has seating, vaulted seating on both sides. Yeah. Seating capacity. I'm talking capacity. Yeah. Potential. Right. Potential space. I would say and in then, most cases, most most tracks probably only have seating to the eighth mile. Uh, let's call it the the bigger the bigger tracks. I mean, yeah, that's true. I didn't. I, there's a lot of gap there. 
once you hit halfway. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, once you, I mean, then it's a then it's a matter of really how 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 tall you build the grandstands, right, for that right. eighth mile. Uh, I don't know how many rows are at Empire. I would guess uh, 15, 20 maybe. Yeah. Uh, you know, thinking about some of the smaller dirt tracks around here that I've been to with uh, Phil Harnden. I mean, yeah, I mean, they're not particularly tall. No. Um, Traditionally, it goes from four to one, and maybe there's a small pit grandstand. Right. For, right. for the drivers to watch what the track's doing. Yep. And watch their other races. Yeah, I mean, even thinking, I will say, even thinking about Lancaster, 5'8's oval. I mean, their grandstands are pretty tall, um, but, yeah, the grandstands really are only along the front straight. It's only that. Oswego Speedway is one of the only tracks that I remember going to that, that can truly say that they've got seating almost uh, a large portion of the way around because mm-hmm. they've got backstretch seating, mm-hmm. too, on the, and that's a 5 mile. But, I mean, you look at some of the tracks that NASCAR goes to, they're seating the whole way around. You know, right. Bristol, it's right. the last great Coliseum. Right. And that's how they market the place. <laughs> And you know, Daytona's taking seats out. Well, I think Talladega, you know I the backstretch—they've so. taken yeah, oh, huge yeah. swaths of seating yep. out. I think Talladega has too. I was to say, I think there was uh, quite a few of them that uh, that did. Mm-hmm. Um, which, yeah, I get it. I mean, it doesn't look uh, doesn't look all that great to have look at all, all those empty, empty seats. seats. Yep, you know what could go there. A billboard somebody pays for. A great big tarp <laughs> with uh, you know Lowe's or Home Depot printed yeah. on it. Uh, yeah, absolutely. You want that? You want that wall panther pink? Well, that insulation company. That's right. Can buy a big enough billboard. We'll paint those walls pink. That's right. right. Exactly. All right. Think we're done here? Cover the bases. I think so. We'll I think we did pretty good. Go to... home and see how wet the basement is. Sorry. <laughs> is what it is. We'll go see what's going on. And... Gotta love home ownership. Yep. Yep, it's the best. It is the best. <laughs> All right, well, we do appreciate it. We'll be back here in a couple of weeks. We'll do it again. We'll have some guests for you to look at in addition to us or at least to hear from, and we'll, we'll, we'll dive into some more of these topics. If there's anything in particular that you want to hear about, feel free to shoot us a message on the Facebook page. Otherwise, like, follow, share, subscribe, and we will see everybody again next time. That's going to do it for us here. Number 81 in the books. This has been the Final Round Drag Racing Podcast, coming to you live from the FingerLakes1.com studios in downtown Seneca Falls, New York. We'll see you right back here again in two weeks. Thanks for watching.